0: You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. There's something I have to tell you. Something about myself that I'd like to share with all of us gathered here today. Something that maybe some of you know, maybe some of you maybe some of you don't. And if you're finding this out for the first time if I've known you for a long time, I apologize that you're just discovering this truth about me. If you're a visitor here, sorry to drop such a heavy weight on you this early in the morning, but I just think it's important for you to know that I'm kind of a superhero. Now, some call this an ability. Some might call it a gift. Some might just call it a superpower. But I've known I've had it for quite some time now. And it's one that's come in, in, in handy quite a many times. My superpower is this. Let's say you have a jar, a jar of pickles, perhaps. Now bread and butter are sweet because those are gross, definitely dill. That's the only way to eat a pickle. Maybe you're opening a jar of jelly. Great, if it's on peanut butter and jelly, anything else is an abomination. And you're trying just with everything inside of you to open the jar, but it won't open. I can open it. In almost every instance, I can open the jar. And this has been a case where I've been in a room with people clearly much stronger than me trying to open a jar and they can't and they try and they try and then they just hand me the jar, not expecting anything. And then, which by the way is one of the greatest noises that could be heard. That initial opening of a jar for the first time with the, as it opens, that's a noise with which I am intimately familiar. Because there is nary a jar that I can't open. Now, in full disclosure, this is probably not a gift that I was born with, but one that has been fashioned. Because while I was in college, I played in a band with this guy named Jared. And Jared's a big dude, and he's just country strong, right? And looked at every mic stand, every piece of drum hardware, anything with a wing nut or a bolt, as some sort of personal mission that he had to make sure that it never came untightened ever, 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 and so in setup and tear down, I would just be struggling over and over and over again and finally could get these things loose, and so it's probably a gift that's been honed. But there's a deep frustration when something's closed and we'd like for it to be open and we can't do it. Because while jars are usually pretty solid for me, there's been many an hour that I've spent wrestling with a nut or a bolt or a screw that just won't come loose. And it's something that I desperately need to break open so that I can finish the project I'm working on and repair the thing that I'm dealing with. It's a really frustrating feeling. Now imagine something sealed up so tight. Something that is infinitely and unimaginably important. Sealed up so tight that there's no one in heaven or on earth that has the ability to open it except for one person. That's what we're gonna look at this morning as we see God's plan written on a scroll and frustration and distress inside of heaven itself because there's no one worthy to open the scroll until Christ enters the picture. And this morning, we're going to look at the worthiness of the Lamb of God, the strength and the power and the might and the majesty of Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose again and has now taken his place at the right hand of the Father. And so as we go through this passage, as we look through the entirety of Revelation chapter 5 this morning, I want us to do so and take this drama as it unfolds to feel all the feelings that must be going on from the time when there is no one who could open the scroll to seeing Christ approach the throne and then seeing Jesus as the one who is worthy to break open God's plan of redemption and restoration, not only on his people, but on all of creation itself. And it's my prayer this morning, just like we talked about worship last week, that when we're done with this passage, that the only response that we could possibly have is to worship the son of God who is strong enough to bring salvation to people like us. And so let's look at this passage of scripture here in Revelation chapter 5, and we'll read the entire text this morning. And this is the word of God. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, the further we go into this book, the more and more overwhelming it is to see who you are and your incredibly wonderful, majestic nature. God, we just come to you confessing that sometimes we don't see Christ as we should but he's the only one worthy. The only one worthy to bring salvation to the lost and broken people. The only one worthy to make sinners into saints. The only one worthy to take those who were on a pathway to death and destruction and to give us life and life everlasting. The only one worthy to bring your creation that was broken because of our sin to the fullness of what it was meant to be. And so, God, this morning, we just celebrate the worthy and the risen and the powerful lamb. And, God, we ask that all glory, honor, praise, majesty, and might would be given to his name. And we ask all these things in that precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you were here last week, then we talked together about Revelation chapter 4. And we get this incredible, awesome picture of worship inside of heaven. And we realize that even on our best days, on the days when we feel like, man, it was really good to be in church today, our worship still just doesn't measure up. And we've got this awesome standard to reach for in worshiping God. And just reading it is overwhelming and a little bit intimidating. I can't imagine what it felt like for John to see this veil pulled back and get to watch and witness the worship around the throne. But even in the midst of how overwhelming that must have been, John notices something. And he notices something, by comparison, very small. And here in verse one, he says, in the midst of all of this worship, in the midst of all that's taking place, he says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll, And this isn't an ordinary scroll. The way that John describes this is very unique. He says it's a scroll written within and on the back, which is really abnormal for scrolls during this time because usually you would just write on the inside of the scroll and then roll it up. And so to see the writing on both the inside and the outside of the scroll shows us that there's something uniquely special about this scroll. But not only that, this scroll is held shut with seven seals. When really one would handle the job. Normally you just have one simple wax seal on a scroll just to hold it in place and make sure it doesn't fly open. But this scroll was sealed seven different times. And what we can gather from everything that we're gonna see is that inside this scroll is written the plan of the God of the universe and his destiny, not only for his people, but for the entire world. And if we look back at the book of Daniel, because as I've said over and over and over again, the most important companion that we have to the book of Revelation is the Old Testament. And inside Daniel chapter 12, verse four, As Daniel is getting some of these glimpses of things that are gonna happen, particularly around the coming of Christ into the world and this messianic time as Jesus is moving around preaching the gospel, Daniel's prescribing some of those things, but also he gets a glimpse into some much more future things. And in verse four, he gets this instruction saying, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And so God has this big plan and Daniel got a glimpse of it, but God says, you get to see it, but nobody else does. I want you to seal this up and wrap it up until the end has come. And we're talking about the book of Revelation. And so this is a book about endings. And as we've seen, this ending it describes is a lot bigger and more broad than sometimes we think or assign with the book of Revelation. He's describing some world events that take place over the entire course of the history of the church. But even still, it feels like it's time for this, this scroll to be opened. But there's a problem. In verse two, John sees a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now, I don't know how strong a strong angel happens to be, but for John to look at this angel and say, ooh, he's kind of jacked. That's a big, strong angel. This must be an incredibly, infinite, infinitely powerful being, but he's not stepping up to open the scroll, is he? This angel that John describes as strong is saying, it's not me. And so if it's not me, then who is worthy to open this scroll? And it's almost a challenge issued across heaven and earth saying, can anyone come? Can anyone come and take this scroll and open it? If you have the power, if you have the strength, come on. But then verse three says, and no one in heaven Or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so John adds another measure there. He says, not only is this challenge going out through all of heaven and all of earth and whatever under the earth means to all of the cosmos and God's creation, this challenge is going out saying, anybody come and step up and open the scroll. Not only could they not step up to open it, but no one was even worthy to peel it back and look inside. And this tore John up. He says, I began to weep loudly. He's not even just a little upset. He's not teary-eyed. He's not crying. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're either watching or maybe even experiencing firsthand some kind of circumstance or tragedy of which you have absolutely no control. But there is something devastating about that feeling. To see something taking place and realize, not only do I not have the power to step in and do anything about it, but no one can step in and do anything about this situation. And it leaves us feeling helpless and overwhelmed and broken. And now John, John is looking at what he knows to be the fullness of God's plan, the redemption of God's people, the restoration of God's world and God's creation. And no one in the universe seems strong enough to step up and break it open. And this sorrow that John feels it should resonate with us a little bit. When we find ourselves in the midst of sin and temptation, when we find ourselves each and every Sunday confessing our sin together, this message should resonate in our hearts because we have a two-part confession, right? We have the confession and the assurance. But what John is seeing here is a world without the assurance, a world broken by sin, a world in desperate need of redemption. His own person, his own self in desperate need of salvation. And God is saying, it's right here. If anybody wants to come take it and no one is worthy to step up and do it. Not any angels in heaven, not anyone on the earth or anyone under the earth. And what we recognize here is the desperate situation that sin has brought into God's world. Because without Christ, there is no hope for salvation. Without Christ, there is no restoration. There is nothing and there is no one who can step in and do for us what we need to be done except for Christ. It's the story of the entire Old Testament. These heroes of the faith step up and they're not good enough. The sacrifices come into play and they're not strong enough. The temple stands in the middle of the people and it's not firm enough to withstand the effects of sin and brokenness. And so without Christ, there is truly, genuinely no one worthy. But that's not where the chapter ends, is it? Because then verse five comes and one of the elders says to John, weep no more. And I love that phrase. This is the second time we've seen John just overwhelmed and distraught. When he's presented with the fullness of Christ earlier in the book of Revelation, he falls down like he's dead and the Jesus, the cosmic king of the universe and heaven and earth comes to John and puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, hey man, don't be afraid. And again, John is weeping and broken and one of the elders around the throne says, You don't have anything to be afraid of. And so many times when we think about or approach just the book of Revelation, there's so much hesitancy. There's so much fear. There's so much uncertainty. What if I don't understand it? What if I don't get this, the symbolism and the messages there? What if it really messes with my theology, the things that I thought to be true about heaven and, and eternity and all of these things in the world in which we live? What if, I, what if I can't grasp fully what's going on here? It's, it's intimidating and it's overwhelming. But twice within the first five chapters of this book, we see the message, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Because this book is a message of hope to God's people. And he says, weep no more. Don't be afraid here. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. All of the fear and anxiety, not just of a hopeless world, but of a hesitant heaven. And I think that's what's so incredible about this passage is there's a sense of unrest inside of heaven, the same heaven where they're worshiping God day and night. There's a little bit of tension here because the angel's saying, who's going to come and take it? And no one can step up. But all of that anxiousness and frustration and stillness is put to rest by the lion of Judah, who the elder says has conquered Through his own death and resurrection, he's conquered sin. He's conquered the guilt and shame that comes with sin for God's people. And not only that, but he conquered the last and greatest enemy of death itself when he rose again from the grave, showing the power of God in its fullness and then seals his people with that promise. He is the one who's worthy to come and unroll the scroll. And then in he comes the only one strong enough to do this. But he doesn't look that way. Because between verse five and verse six, we see some of the imagery change. The elder says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's coming. But then what John sees is this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain. This is a much different picture than the lion of Judah. Because would, we would expect to see in this imagery this, this powerful, muscle rippling lion run into the scene, growling and snarling, ready to rip open the scroll and break loose God's plan of salvation. And then when John looks, what he sees is a lamb. And not just a lamb, but one that looks like it had been slain. But the fullness of God is written on the face of that lamb. He says, it had seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And again, if this is your first time here, we've seen that language and that imagery all throughout this book so far. And the number seven there is this picture of of completeness and fullness. And when the Bible, when the book of Revelation talks about these seven spirits of God, it's this beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit that goes throughout the entire world, seeing all that needs to be seen and being present with God's people, no matter where they are. And so we see this picture that Jesus walks up to the throne, the Son of God, by the Spirit of God, approaching the Father to take the scroll. And he does it. And all the fear and all the unworthiness of all of heaven and earth, it doesn't matter anymore. Because the one who is worthy in verse 7 went up and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Think about just the power of that image. This throne that was seemingly unapproachable to the rest of heaven. These creatures that were surrounding the throne, they were just there to hold it up. And so Jesus walks directly to the throne and reaches to the hand of the almighty God, the father, and takes out his plan of redemption. And we have to recognize here that this is painting the very clear picture that there is no other name there is no other power, there's no other religion, there's no other ideology or philosophy, government, creature in heaven on earth or under the earth, or anything in between that has the power to save and restore God's people, but Christ and Christ alone is worthy. But way too often our lives don't reflect that. But even for the best of us, even for the ones that would call ourselves really good church people, who are there every Sunday, who live and serve. Man, we like Jesus. I dare even say we love Jesus. Even for those who consider themselves just a passionate follower of Christ, we still so often lead this Jesus plus lifestyle. It's because whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we're bold enough to say it or not, we don't believe Jesus is worthy enough. And so we want Jesus plus financial stability. We want Jesus plus the job that we feel like we deserve and the job that we love. We want Jesus plus the relationships that we feel like we should have in our lives. We want Jesus plus wealth or prosperity. We want Jesus plus fame or fortune. We want Jesus plus health and comfort. We want Jesus plus our nationalism and our politics. We want Jesus plus all of these different things because the reality is the way that we live declares that we don't really believe that Jesus is fully worthy. But without Jesus, John, John's still weeping. Without Jesus, there's still tension inside of heaven. The angel is still shouting. But Jesus, the lamb who was slain and then conquered the grave, rose again to save his people and redeem his creation. He's coming in this passage of scripture and he's about to finish what he started and he doesn't need any help. In fact, there is no one in the universe who has the power to even walk alongside Jesus to the throne. And so we need to get to the point where we see Christ not as an option, but as the option. Where we see Jesus not as someone worthy, but as the only one worthy the only one with the dominion and the power to bring salvation to his people, the only one who can be the author and perfecter of our faith, the only one who can take the fullness of God's plan and unroll it and bring it into fruition. And then once we do, once we get to that point, the only appropriate response is worship. And we're gonna come back to this time and time and time again through the book of Revelation. And I told you, as we started this book, one of my prayers for myself and for us as a church is that by the time we're outside of the book of Revelation, that our entire understanding of what worship really is has changed. And then we're able to come together each and every Sunday and experience a little bit of heaven right here and right now because we've seen at least what our minds can handle of the fullness of God. And here in this passage, we see the fullness and the power and the exclusivity of the worthiness of Jesus. And the only appropriate response is worship. This was a while ago. But I was on my mountain bike one day and we were at, I was the horse park in Conyers. So there's about four or five trails that I normally ride. The horse park is one of them. And at the horse park, you've got two big climbs over the course of the horse park. There's one that's kind of in the woods and it wears you out really good. And then the second climb at the horse park goes under the power lines which anytime you get to power lines out in nature, it just feels weird because you hear above you that, and it just feels malignant. The air just feels a little uncertain and a little sketchy. And so you're already feeling a little curious about this wide open space and you can hear the power lines. And I promise you, you can feel them. It's just awkward. But also you've got this really big hill. It was a pretty hot day. I wasn't feeling it. I rode up the hill. Finally, I got about halfway up, hopped off my bike and walked for a little bit. And then I felt something on my leg. And I looked down and on my leg was a spider. Now I don't particularly enjoy the company of spiders anyway, but I promise you, what I'm about to tell you is not pastoral exaggeration. It's not a big fish story. I'm telling you this as the absolute truth, as your pastor and someone who is not going to lie to you, I promise, cross my heart, this was a wolf spider and it was this big. And I could feel all eight of his legs. (laughs) And so I looked down And I see the spider and the chain reaction is weird and kind of out of order. So thank God, my first reaction is my hand just involuntarily and he was gone. But then there was a delay in the reaction of my brain actually catching on to what happened. And so then my eyes and my leg that felt all eight of the legs just sent a little whisper to my brain saying, that was a giant spider. And before I really had time to actually process it, what happened was a noise coming forth from my body that I've not made before or since. It was something that sounded a little like, and it was completely involuntary because that's all that my body and my mouth could do. I look down, I knock it off, the message comes in, that's it. And it took me the rest of the hill to really process what happened. Because sometimes things take place in our lives and involuntary noises come out. And in the same way, but in a much more rejoicing way, there should be times in our walk with Christ when we see things happen and we just can't help but make noise. We talked about this a little bit last week but it was just this beautiful divine thing. We've been praying for a long time, and we're going to talk about this tonight. We've been praying for a long time about some ways to build relationships with the people that live right here around our church. We've tried a lot of things. We've, we've had some success, but we really want lasting gospel-centered relationships with the people that live and move in the neighborhoods right here. And so last Sunday... I had to drive back home after I got here to pick something up that I'd forgotten. And so on the way back, I saw a couple people just walking across the street into the laundromat right here and realized there are a lot of people doing laundry this morning. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't shake this, this desire to pray for, for the people there. And the last thing I said as I got out of my car is, God, just give us a way to, to love these people and reach these people and share the gospel right here. And I'm just going through my normal Sunday routine. Everything's fine. We're going through the worship service just as we always do. Amy comes up to lead us in our prayer time. And then just with this throwaway thought at the end as she's giving us things to pray for, she says, oh, and also some people in the church have a passion for that laundromat. And I promise you, we hadn't talked at all. And so at the same time, God was giving some people in our church a passion for the exact same thing that I was unknowingly praying for. And I was standing right here, and I, I had to catch myself and go, go, because I was almost about to come out again. Because when we see God move in these incredible ways, we should have a desire and a passion to worship him. And in verse 8, Jesus comes, He takes the He takes the scroll. And it says, when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they made noise. And I love how we see this picture here in each of their hands. On one hand, they have an instrument of worship. They have a harp to make music to God. And in the other hand, they have a fragrant offering. And just as a quick aside, in case you're here and you've ever wondered, do my prayers matter? Does God care? Does God hear my prayers? Or am I just shouting to the sky and no one's up there on the other end? When we see the prayers of God's people here, they are a fragrant offering to God. They bring him joy. And they're presented by the elders and the creatures around the throne to God as incense. And then these creatures and these elders begin to sing. And it says they sang a new song. And last week we saw that these creatures around the throne of God, they had had one song. They were a one-hit wonder. And all day and all night they were singing the same song over and over and over again. And then Jesus approaches the throne and he takes the scroll and they go. And they begin to sing a new song. They said, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. These creatures around the throne are singing the gospel and they didn't even get to experience it. They're just watching Christ act out the gospel on our behalf. And they were so moved by it that they said, you alone are worthy, Jesus, because you have died and rose again. And through that, you ransomed your people. And not just one kind of person, but from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've brought them together and make a kingdom. They're overwhelmed because no one else can do that. And then all of heaven breaks loose. And I can't imagine what this must have felt like for John as he's surrounded by this. He says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it doesn't stop there. He says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. How often do we feel this kind of awe and wonder at the worthiness of Jesus? Because he's never not worthy. He is always this worthy and this powerful and this awesome. And so anytime we think about Christ, this is the Jesus that we're thinking about. The one who was worthy to take the scroll from the hands of God, who offered himself as a sacrifice to redeem us. For anyone in here who's put your faith in Christ, he redeemed you by his own life so that we could have life and life everlasting. But not just this, he made us a people He made us a kingdom. He brought us together no matter what we look like, no matter where we've come from, no matter what language we speak. He brings us together to make us a kingdom of priests so that we can be with him for all of eternity. And so because of that, we need to worship Christ with all that we have. We get this picture here of Jesus exalted as God, reclaiming his place that he gave up for us, as Paul tells us that he emptied himself and became nothing for us. He's not nothing anymore, but he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords seated at the right hand of God, carrying out the work of God in heaven and on earth. And if we are here and we've trusted in the blood of Christ, how could we not be moved to worship? Amen? Amen. Because that's what the that's what the elders and the creatures around the throne said. They saw this incredible thing, and all they could say is, Amen. Let it be so. Just uttering in agreements with all of creation that Christ is worthy and he is every bit of who he said he is. And so I guess the question is simple. Do we see Christ as worthy? If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus before, this gospel that we talk about so much is this, that Jesus is God. And yet he gave that up to come into our world, to be our Emmanuel, God with us. And he lived and he moved through our world just like we do, just without sin, so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice once and for all because we're not worthy to make ourselves right with God. We can't do enough good things to make ourselves right with God. And so Jesus came to do that for us. And what's so amazing about that, the reason why it's good news is because all we have to do is trust in him. And that's it, we receive by grace this beautiful gift of salvation. And not only does he forgive us of our sins that we've already committed, but he forgives us of our sins yesterday, today, and forever and separates them as far from us as the East is from the West. And he gives us a new name, that he gives us a name that is going to last for all of eternity, that he gives us everlasting life so that we can be in a perfect relationship with God from this point forever. And if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, that's the message that he calls you with out of his love and his kindness, if you've never been baptized, and please don't leave church today without talking with me or one of our elders about what it means to follow after Christ and receive this new life. If you're here and you trust in Jesus and you believe in Jesus, this is a call for us today to believe in this Jesus, the only one worthy of blessing and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. And so maybe before we come to the table in just a moment, you need to spend some time and I need to spend some time confessing that we haven't seen Jesus as worthy enough, that we've minimized Christ, that we've believed this lie that we need Jesus plus something else to bring us what we need when there is nothing else. And as Paul says, no other gospel. Or maybe we just need to spend some time and thanksgiving because of what Jesus has done for us and then worship because of who he is. But whatever the case may be, we cannot read a passage like this and not respond. And in just a minute, we're going to have a chance to come to the table. We're going to sing our confession of faith this week, just like we did last week. And the song that we're going to sing comes directly out of this passage. And as Olivia leads it, she's going to sing a question and we're going to sing back an answer. And it begins with this question that the angel asked, is there anyone worthy? And it resolves with the truth that he is. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And then we're going to go into a time when we come to the table and take communion.